You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. I got to say almost every day I hop into a boat, you know, whether it's with a client or, or, you know, with a buddy or sometimes even by myself and, you know, same thing in the morning that it's, it's that anticipation of not knowing, you know, you're, you're, you're like I say, we're so fortunate to have these big fish lakes. You, you, you go out and, and you know, typically you're a little bit early, you know, they don't really get going until about, you know, nine, 10 o'clock, but you're out there and it's the anticipation. And then, you know, particularly if it's a mixed stock lake, and, and I'm crazy about kokanee. If I'm going out on the lake and it's got some kokanee in it, I know the chance of catching kokanee is there. It's that anticipation, and then you know, watching that bobber go down and and just the the scream is just, you know, I can't get enough of it. It's just uh, absolutely crazy. And and sharing that, I, I absolutely love sharing that with people, especially people who haven't done a lot of it, haven't seen that kind of thing. Like to see the smile on their face and, and, you know, the shock and when they see the size of these fish or, you know, the numbers of fish that we can catch up here. It's, it's, it's just, you know, I've always enjoyed that, you know, seeing people kind of for the, for the, their best time they've ever had. So welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Thanks for joining us this time around. And we are truly honored to have Steve Miracle on the podcast. Now, Steve has Miracle Fly Fishing Adventures. He is a guide in the Kamloops area. But when you start digging into his past, uh, here's a gentleman we can learn a lot from. So uh, he's a retired small lakes biologist uh, in the Kamloops area. Also, um really spent a lot of time uh, studying the, the Thompson steelhead. We'll get into a lot of things today. But, hey, Steve, thanks so much for coming on the program tonight. I really appreciate it. Yeah, hey, thanks, Mark. The, the honor's mine. I really appreciate you giving me a call. Well, let's um, let's start with fishing. Uh, we'll talk, because, you know, anytime I have somebody on the program that has a scientific background, I just I just feel like I, I really need to kind of do my due diligence here. We'll get into everything you've been up to over your, your long career uh, in British Columbia. But first off, tell me how you came to discover fly fishing. Where did the kind of passion start for you, Steve? Well, you know, Mark, the, the first memory I have period. The first memory I have was actually, I lived in Vancouver and I remember I, I, I was probably about four years old. I remember crossing a suspension bridge. So I suspect it was the Capilano river and there was a small pond on the opposite side of the bridge. And, uh, we walked up and we could see these huge trout swimming in the water. And like, I'm just like, wow, never seen a trout before in my life. And my brother grabbed some, uh, huckleberries or salmon berries and he threw them in the water and these trout came up 
and took them off the surface of the water. And it was, I was hooked like that. That was it. I was done. And I think, you know, a lot of guys that are really passionate about it know it at a really young age. And I, I certainly did. And, you know, so I, I was fortunate enough that about 11 years old, we moved out of Vancouver and uh, up into Kamloops area. My dad got transferred and that was just, you know, such a breath of fresh air for me. And we, we started, you know, I started my neighbor, we did some gang trolling and that was fun. You couldn't feel the fish on a gang troll. And then, you know, got into flat fish fishing and, and just hanging a worm and towing a worm. And we fished a lot. One of our, one of our kind of home lakes was Salmon Lake. And we really liked that lake. And my dad had some buddies that fished that lake. So we'd go to this lake and we'd, we'd just tow worms around. We'd always catch fish. But then they made Salmon Lake a fly fishing only lake. And, uh, you know, I thought, okay, that's weird. And they, you know, we looked at what a fly was and I said, this will never catch fish. So I was still pretty young. So, you know, we'd be towing along. We had to have a fly on, but I didn't know it wasn't right to put a worm on the end of the fly. And so you put a worm on the end of the fly, you catch a fish, and then you get lazy and you don't have a worm on the end of the fly anymore and you're still catching fish. And you're going, oh, okay. So let's just try it without even putting a worm on. And sure enough, you know, I had to prove to myself that, hey, these things actually do catch fish. And, uh, you know, I was hooked after that. I, I went and bought a fly rod and started to learn how to cast, self-taught in casting and um, out in the soccer field, just just uh, throwing the line. And, yeah, I mean, the rest is history. I just I just took off from there. It's funny, funny you said that, sitting out in the soccer field, because I could totally relate to that. There's a lot of grass-stained fly lines <laughs> when I start looking back because it really is a great place to learn isn't it there's no overhanging trees exactly you know Mark, I mean the, the ground is soft it's easy grass stains don't hurt the fly line and you know I say to a lot of my clients because I get a lot of clients who you know want to learn as much as they want to catch fish and you know a lot of them are having a tough time casting and I say it's kind of like riding a bike you know there's a lot of things going on but once you get those moves right and the timing right it comes and I said you know, it's best to go out, if you got the time, you know, find some grass, go out and learn to cast. Because it's kind of like having a batting cage or a driving range. Like, like learn to do these things before you hit the water. Don't don't be frustrated on the water. Have have that ability so that when you hit the water, you're getting that line out. You don't have to cast it a mile, but you're able to get the line out without a mess. And um, and then you're fishing. Then you're not frustrated. Mm. Those, those, that's some good advice right there. I think that's, uh, it sounds really good but as somebody that just jumps into the sport i think it is somewhat hard to do because you just want to get fishing and you know yeah. you're not gonna you know you're not gonna catch too uh too many uh too many fish in the uh penalty box no, in, no you know, exactly the... <laughs> if you're if you're working out knots in your line all the time and and just getting frustrated you know you'll just you'll just give it up and you know the real key i mean the strike indicator you know, as you know, has, has really been a, an advantage because, you know, I always tell the story too. My, my, my daughter, I, I always take her out fishing and, and I'd cast out a mile for her and she'd immediately grab the rod and she'd pull it into, you know, about two feet off her rod tip. And I'm, I'm kind of going, what are you doing? Well, she was only 10, 11 years old. I mean, she didn't have the arm strength to set, you know, line cast a mile out, but she would almost always invariably outfish me with that strike indicator sitting a couple of rod lengths out from the boat. So you don't, hmm. you don't have to cast a mile. You know, right. it's, it's nice. I mean, casting is kind of, you know, kind of, kind of for show a little bit, but, um, but you can catch fish right in front of the boat. 
I, I had Landon Mayer on, and he, I, I forget his quote exactly, but it's something like 80 or 90% of the fish you catch are within 30 feet of where you're at. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, they're, they're there. You just have to wait for them to come. And, and, and you know, it's easier to hook them. I mean, if, if you're, you know, you're casting out 80, 90 feet, you know, by the time you lift your, your line up, on that kind of cast, you're probably going to miss it. Whereas right in front of you, if you get a hit, it's you're pretty much straight on it. You know, what's funny that uh, I got to be honest with you. And this will sound really weird. The first time I ever caught a fish on a chronomid was, I was probably 20 years old. So going back 30 years and I actually had a nap in my canoe and, and the line just went straight down. I woke up, I lifted the rod tip and that was the first fish I ever caught <laughs> deep, straight, straight up and down. I, it's I, probably because all the other times you're moving it too fast. You know, <laughs> that's the secret of Coronament is don't move it too fast. So, uh, no, it's funny. It's all those stories that, uh, that kind of come. I mean, I remember my dad casting and uh, actually hooking a fish behind him. He, on his back, he was such a sloppy. He never has been a good caster. But he, on his back cast, he actually hooked a fish. He couldn't bring his line forward. It just doesn't hit the water. So, yeah, he's just some pretty strange. And that was obviously very close to the boat. So, if you're catching a fish on your back cast, you might need to work on your casting. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very true. It's it's kind of like that commercial I saw where they uh, the guy takes a takes a uh, golf club and and drives it off the off the green and and the uh, divot lands right beside the hole. The ad is maybe golf isn't your game. So, <laughs> <laughs> I just had this vision of the water frothing behind me but yeah i've seen that yeah so um in all seriousness you know what i want to get to is your influences so if you had to cite uh, a couple of people that have really been influential influential in your you know your your fly fishing learning curve and and i know we're going back a ways here but who, who would you look to steve well you know no, number one first and foremost is is brian chan i mean i you know i i i was fly fishing long before i met brian chan but uh you know in a lot of cases i wasn't doing it right i mean he he really is a master i mean he's he is truly one of the nicest most sincere quiet guys um you know no ego at all that you ever want to meet and um i was fortunate enough to to start working with him in in 1985 and and worked you know right through um whatever 30 or so years and uh then of course i was fortunate enough to to uh to fish with him a fair bit as well mm. and so i mean he you know he taught me he taught me so much about small lakes fishing it's you know uh, it, it, it's unbelievable and and i i was you know i was uh i actually went away from small lakes fishing for quite a while it was you know back when i started fishing you put any fly out there and get them and and then it started getting more technical as more effort got on the water uh, and I, I just went absolutely nuts about river fishing, both steelhead and, and trout fishing. And, uh, you know, talking to Brian, sitting down and watching Brian's passion, getting out in the water with him, I, and learning the techniques, et cetera. Uh, I just got right back into small lakes fishing. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I don't fish rivers that much anymore because, you know, small lakes are just, they're just mm. so good. They're, they're just, they're where it's at right now. And, uh, yeah. So, so Brian absolutely is, is the, um, you know, the number one mentor that I've had, but, you know, we've got some, some young guys that I've met as well. Um, you know, more lately, like, uh, I, I noticed uh, that you, you've done an interview with, uh, Brian Lund. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, that young guy I met, I don't know, three or four years ago, 
and uh, you know he is just a whiz. I mean, in my opinion, he'll he'll be a Brian Chan one day. I mean, the guy just he just eats, breathes, and lives fishing. Yeah. And and his techniques and his fly tying and, and the whole bit. I mean, he's just the whole package. And you know, just spending time with him. You know, he's a good friend with Brian as well. And so we come over and we tie flies here and uh, you know just sit around and kind of shoot the shit. And it's just it's just magic, right? And yeah. so I've learned, I've learned a lot from him as well. So, and then, and then, you know, there's, there's countless other guys that, um, that I've, I've, uh, I've learned from as well, but those, those two guys, um, are probably, you know, from a long time ago and more recently, those are probably the two guys that I've really, uh, really learned from. I think it's really neat when you have a kind of, um, you know, quite a cross section there you know with between age groups you got the young the young young gang coming up um just really passionate really um you know dialed in on whether it's everything online but it's also the, the practicality of it being out there and doing their thing and i i i find that really inspirational when i see these 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 young up and comers as well like it's great to learn from the legends but it's also yeah. nice to see kind of the next generation coming in behind because let's face it, that's, that's the future. Oh yeah. And, and, you know, even Brian has said that to me, you look at these young guys and you look how creative they are. And, you know, in, in some ways, I won't say we're stuck in our old ways, but, but we can certainly learn from, from watching them and, and watching their creativity and maybe more active minds than ours. I mean, mm. we're certainly saged and we've learned a lot, but yeah, there's, there's a lot to be learned from, from, like you say, both groups, the, the older ones who, who have a lot of experience and then the young guys who are just kind of getting into it and, and really passionate about it. Steve, is that something that, that really draws you to fly fishing is the fact that you never know it all. There's always more to learn. There's always, you know, something to investigate, new patterns, new, new techniques. It, it just, it never ends. Well, it never ends. And, you know, some days you go out and you're a hero and other days you go out and you're a zero, um, <laughs> you know, you, and it can be the same lake the next day. Um, I, I, you know, I, I learn something every day I go out. I, I, I learn, you know, something new every day that I'm on the water and, you know, I kind of take that home and I, and I apply it and, you know, with, you know, 40, 40 or almost 50 years of, of fishing, um, you know, I've, I've certainly learned things over, over my, over my time. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is the amazing thing about being on the water. You hit a bang on the head is that it's, um, it's just an amazing sport that you never, if you ever stop learning, then you know you, you're you're lost um <laughs> yeah. you know amen yeah to that yeah so we're chatting today with steve miracle now steve is with miracle fly fishing adventures uh guide in the Kamloops, british columbia area one of the really truly the one of the best still water locations on the planet um also happens to be a retired small lakes biologist was instrumental uh, working with Thompson River Steelhead. We'll get to that. First, Steve, I want to get to know you a little bit off the water. Are you ready for a few kind of random questions? You bet, Mark. All right. Um, are you a music guy? So, you know, if you're if you're driving to the Thompson to fish some rainbows or you're driving to your favorite Stillwater, what are you listening to in your truck? Well, I'm uh, if I am listening to music, I'm I'm a you know old time rock and roll guy. Uh, you know, I, I I'm a huge Eagles fan. You know, Aerosmith, Blue Rodeo. Um, mm. 
you know any of that genre just that just gets me going i mean it, it, those those that music has, has stood the test of time and you know i sprinkle in some new stuff as well there's some some a few you know good new songs out there but uh you know the old classic some people my kids get just absolutely tired of hearing a song they say, oh that one's so old and i'm looking at them like that song's only six months old but <laughs> you know it has you know for me i mean i i've got you know it's it's weird I, on my phone i've got a mix of music you know probably 120 songs and i listen to it over and over and over again and i, I just don't get tired of it so for me you know I'll, I'll throw some john denver in there um you know i'll, I'll throw some floor stuff in there as well to, to, to bring me back down but uh but yeah, I, I am absolutely a music nut. When I make a trip for like a week and I get back, the first thing I want to do before I, you know, when I get into range now, I, you know, I got to put some music on. I got to hear some music because it's, mm-hmm. it's one thing I really miss when, I, when I'm away and my wife and kids. But, uh... <laughs> do, do you know what makes me nervous is when I hear classic rock from 2000. I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, yeah. What? <laughs> that just shows that we're getting old. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> one go-to fly pattern, Steve, that you can't live without. So if, if you're on your favorite still water, more often than not, what pattern are you pulling out of that fly box? Well, you know, I'd probably have to say Mark, and I mean, there's a lot of patterns. It would be a leech pattern for sure, um, you know, and it would it would it would almost certainly first be a a ruby eye leech. Um, it's just a <laughs> really go to. I think it's been overfished, you know, lately, but uh, you know, it it's still and you can you can mix it with a lot of colors in the body, but uh, it just really is. It's always been a really good seeking pattern for me. You know, you always want to get that first fish in the boat and, and uh, you know, be able to pump the throat and just see, you know, see if there's any surprises there for, for what they've been eating. Mm. So that's that's just a really good pattern. It's one of the first patterns I'll put on and, uh, and fish it and just see, you know, see what's happening. So uh, we have a lot of listeners stateside and beyond. I just uh, maybe describe that pattern a little bit because I think that's very specific to the Kamloops region. I know it's, it's a go-to. So, so what does that look like? So it's it's got a uh, a copper uh, a cone head, copper cone head. It's got a a red a ruby red um, bead on it, and then it's it's just the um, just the uh, what's the name of the material? Like semi seal or yeah, it's a semi seal. Uh, probably my favorite is the the black and red semi seal, and mm-hmm. no tail, no marabou on it. Um, tie it sparse. Uh, I really like sparse flies, um, so I tie it very sparse and sure. uh, typically on a you know a ten two x. And uh, yeah, it's it's just a it's just a go to pattern. It's you brush that cool. with a Velcro brush or wire brush? Just yeah, I use a wire brush on it after I after yep. I uh, do it, and I always put a bit of cement on the um, you know just just behind the bead so that when I tie it, it doesn't. You find a lot of them will slide back on you, so just a bit of cement on the head as you're as you're tying in the dubbing, yep. it just tends tends to lock it in better. So that's a that's a good tip. Um favorite place to talk fly fishing so when you're not in your waders or in your uh, g3 out with uh, a client or having some uh, you know some personal time on the water where do you get your fix when you're not fishing well i'm you know i'm i'm not a i'm not a a, a big uh, a guy that goes into big crowds too much uh i i love my friends i guess people have called me selectively social 
I love my <laughs> friends. I love making new friends. I love one-on-one. Um, I, I, I'd have to say, you know, I, I love going for a beer with, with the guys and, and, you know, sitting down and, 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 uh, you know, talking, talking fishing. And, and a lot of times it's guys that I work with. So we're talking fishing and work and, you know, what's working for fish. Um, so, you know, a lot of, a few times I'll go to the pub, but a lot of times I, you know, I got a, a nice place at home and a nice big, um, kind of games room downstairs where, I'll bring three or four or five guys over and um, some of them will be, you know, top notch guys like Brennan and, and Brian. And, you know, I'll, you know, I'll have other guys that come over who really don't know how to tie and, and we'll just sit down and, you know, you, you, I can show them some things and, and, you know, Brennan can show me a few things and, and uh, it's just a really good time. And we, and we, you know, we sit around and chat and of course they got networks as well. And it's all about networking and they've mm. got, you know, a bunch of friends that they talk to. So they're, it's almost like you're talking to these other guys with having them there because they're bringing stories over and, yeah. you know, so, so that's, that's what I probably enjoy the best. We'll sit down, we'll crack a beer and we'll, uh, we'll just chat and blast off some flies and have some laughs and talks and, and yeah, yeah it works out really well. I'm sure you got some of that coming up as we're kind of heading into the uh, late fall, early winter. For me, that's kind of when I get, get excited about tying and, and talking if that makes sense yeah Yeah, absolutely and those guys are all part of my bubble so uh you know we're we're um there i know they're pretty safe as far as the covid thing goes and Mm -hmm. you know i'm I'm out there fishing with them and so um yeah i know they're they're the guys that i'll I'll be doing for sure when uh after hunting season's over i I love hunting so um after that's over we'll be sitting around tying flies on a probably on a weekly basis Favorite sports team? Now, I don't know if you're a sports guy or not, but uh, are you a Canucks, Lions? Uh, I, you know, Jays? I am. And I, I gotta say, Mark, you know, I, I, I'm a big Vancouver Canuck fan. I used to be a big hockey guy. I played hockey all my life. Um, I kind of got out of hockey. I think when the strikes came, I, I kind of, it, it became a little bit too much like a business to me, and the Canucks kind of. Mm-hmm. you know, went sour, but I, I gotta say right now. And for a lot of years, my favorite team, my favorite sport is NFL football and my favorite team by far and always has been for probably 30 years or however long they've been around is the Seattle Seahawks. Right. And, and right now, you know, with Pete Carroll and, and, um, and Russ, Russell Wilson, I mean, those two guys are salt seem to be salt of the earth and, and just so skilled and, and at what they do. And, uh, you know, I, I don't miss a game. I mean, I tape a game. If I'm not going to be here, I'll tape a game and I'll watch it. And, you know, when I'm watching any other football, it's all about how it relates to how, you know, how it's going to affect the Seahawks chances of getting into the playoffs and moving on. So, so you're probably kind of a, uh, a Dave Craig, Steve Largent guy too. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Those, those, those were the days that they, they didn't, you know, they didn't really, uh, they didn't soar like Seahawks, but, uh, there was, there was a lot of tough years in there. Oh but, yeah. Uh, no. And I, that's I, why you, you, that's your team, right? And, and, and yeah. when the time is good, you got to embrace it. Cause yeah. you know, I'm a Broncos fan and trust me, we, we, we've had our ups and downs. <laughs> You've had the ups and downs I, as well. I probably shouldn't even be talking to you cause I had a really bad day a few years ago. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. I, think I, you... I remember that day. Well, we, we, turned I bet you do. We had a pretty bad day against the Patriots or pretty bad, bad play yeah. anyway against the Patriots a long time ago. So yeah. Yeah, I like to forget that one. But. I hear you. What's the biggest lesson you've learned on your fly fishing journey? So if you kind of had to distill down this whole big trip with fly fishing and what it brings to your life, 
Could you verbalize that? Uh, yeah, you know, the, probably the biggest lesson I've learned, I am not a patient. Naturally, I'm not a patient person. I've certainly been acquiring it more when I'm, you know, as I've gotten older, but you know, fishing, fishing really is a patient sport. And you know, what I find, uh, you know, I've done so much right now, especially still water is, is on an, on an average day, if there is such a thing as an average day, you're going to have an hour to an hour and a half of, of excellent fishing. And you can kind of guess when that's going to be, but you know, you, you can't, you can't say for sure. And so you've got to stick it out. You've got to, you've got to have patience with the patterns that you've got. You've got to have the confidence to know, Hey, what I'm using and the techniques I'm, I'm using are working. And that's really tough as you probably know, is we've all been there when you're, you're sitting around guys and they're catching fish and you're not, it's even worse when you got a client in the boat and that's happening. That's mm -hmm. when you might pull up anchor and say, Hey, if they haven't noticed you, well, we're going to go over here, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but you know, everybody's experienced that. Right. And, and that's yeah. when you start to get rattled, but you've just gotta, you gotta persevere. Uh, not to say you stick with one pattern. I mean, I flip through patterns as much as anybody, maybe more than a lot, but, um, you know, you've got to give every pattern a fair shot. You've got to have patience in the techniques you're using, the area you're fishing, um, and, and, and stick with it, knowing that it's going to happen. I had to teach my kids that, and that probably really helped me to, to kind of develop that. You know, mm -hmm. the other, the other one I learned is, is just read the water. I mean, the, you know, the, it, it's a lot of it's right there in front of you. Um, you know, the, the bugs coming off the fish rolling, uh, birds working, you know, swallows feeding on chronomids coming up. Um, you know, there, there's, there's all kinds of things. If you, if you look around that, that, you know, they're telling you what's going on. Right. And, uh, and it may not be what you expected or where you expected it, but, you know, take the time and be ready to change. You know, you might go up think out thinking, Oh, this is going to be a great chronomid day. And all of a sudden you hit a damsel, you know, a damsel, uh, emergence yeah. and, or whatever. Right. And so you gotta, you gotta be able to make that change. It's and, funny. You know, it's, yeah. I was going to say, it's funny how, when we come to the water with those preconceived notions and I, I, I used to really get hung up on that. It's like, okay, it's such and such degrees. It's this time of year. It's going to be damsels. And then you get there yeah. and the chronomids are coming off, but yeah. you're stubborn and you go, no, I got a damsel tied on and I'm going to fish this thing. But it's yeah. like mother nature will kind of tell you, yeah, wake up. Absolutely. And you know, there are times, Mark, it doesn't happen often, but there, there's times when I've been sitting on top of a, you know, a major chronomid hatch and there's no fish there. Right. And so, you know, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, you're yeah. fishing this thing and you got these big, beautiful chronomids, you watch them swimming up around you and the fish haven't found them yet. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you make the choice, do I stick here and wait for the fish to show up or do I go, you know, is this happening somewhere else? So it's, right. you know, that, that, that's kind of one of my other points is that you, you know, you want to, one thing I've learned is that if you fish where there's no fish, you won't catch fish. <laughs> and and so you know you gotta go out and you gotta find fish you gotta know that you're fishing over fish even you know it's it's kind of the, the steps you gotta go through you know first you gotta find the fish and then you gotta figure out you know what they're eating or if they're eating sometimes you'll be sitting around fish and you know there's fish there but they're just not feeding and then you know it's time to move on but but you know i, I i'm a really firm believer in, in using your fish finder and your eyes and watching for fish moving and making sure that you're fishing uh, where there, where there are fish, cause they're not equally distributed, you know, in the water. 
they're 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 clumped up they're grouped up and you're you know you can sit there all day and maybe pick up one fish but that's when i'm on the water by myself with my clients or my buddies i'm not looking for one fish in a day you know i'm looking to to find you know numbers of fish if possible and mm-hmm. you know try try to make the best day possible out of it so so you telling me if you're kind of fly casting on uh you know the north shore and brock area maybe on a soccer field you're not you're not over fish so you <laughs> <laughs> no that that's 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 my batting cage. I, I don't I don't spend a lot of time out, out in the soccer field anymore. But but yeah, no. When I'm on the lake, I'm I'm definitely you know. I, I and you do go in, and it's a good thing. You know, you mentioned preconceived notions, and those are fantastic to have, right? But but mm-hmm. just be ready to be adaptable. You know, be ready to when that's not working out. Um, you know, be ready to make the change and and look for other things. Don't don't get hardwired and go. This is what I have to do. Yeah. because um you know you got to be flexible and you've got to you've got to kind of you know roll with the punches and and something else and that's that's one of the great things about fishing is that you just don't know what's going to happen every day yeah. and 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 you've got to roll and 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 when you figure it out i mean every time you figure it out um in fact it's 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 even better when you go out and you know what's going to happen and it happens that's pretty cool mm-hmm. but when you go out and what's supposed to happen doesn't happen but you're still able to to adapt and figure it out and and catch them on, on what is now happening that's the real feeling of success to me is that you know hey you know i figured something out and that goes back to hey you learn something every day right yeah no that's that's very true uh, fill in the blank for me uh when i'm not fly fishing i'm probably doing what uh, as i say i'm a i'm a big hunter so during hunting season you know in the fall i uh i'm 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 chasing, chasing animals around, around the bush. I just, it's, it's, you know, hunting is very similar to fishing, right? It just, it's Mm -hmm. just bigger, typically bigger, bigger animals that you're after, but you know, same kind of concept. It's all the things you see out there. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if I don't shoot something and some days it doesn't matter when I'm on the water, if I don't catch anything, it's just that experience of being out there and all the things you see and all the things going on. So yeah, I, I'm outdoors all the way, both hunting and fishing um i i do a bit of consulting which i which i love i I kind of i love my job when i was working with fish and wildlife but i don't do not miss the administrivia and uh you know i absolutely love the fact that i'm I'm doing some consulting and doing some um you know some um some actually aeration work and and different things for the branch but not not kind of hung up in the in the day-to-day stuff that i used to be hung up Mm -hmm. on and then you know, I, I also, uh, I love, I love, you know, home renovations and woodwork and that kind of thing. So, you know, I love being around the house and, and, uh, mm-hmm. and pottering, fixing things up and, and, and building things. So those are kind of the things I'll spend a lot of my time you know, doing. I got one more rapid fire question for you at, and this might be a tough one for you, I, I suspect, but the best job you've ever had, are you doing it now? <laughs> was it, was it back with the ministry? Was it, if you had to pick one job that was like, wow, this was kind of it. Well, you know, I, I don't, I, I'd almost say what I'm doing right now is the best job I ever had, but it, it's so much fun. I don't even consider it a job. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I have to say I, I am, I am, I am blessed to, to have, uh, you know, worked for 34 years with the fish and wildlife branch in, in, in the Camels area. And, um, I mean, it, it, it was by far the best job I, I had, you know, two of the best 
bosses, supervisors in the business. You know, Brian Chan, of course, I worked under him uh, doing small lakes. And then Ian McGregor was my, was my, our section head. And I mean, he, you know, both those guys would let you, the great thing about the job, I mean, you're working outdoors is fantastic, but you could basically make the job up yourself, you know, obviously following the, the proper path, but you could conceptualize an idea, find out where a weak spot was, you know, find a project that needs to be done, go after the money, you know, get the money, do the project, write it up. And at the end of the day, you know, you look at it and go, wow, you know, here we are. We, you know, we got, we got this job done and, and, um, hmm. you know, the fishery is a definitely a better place, uh, because we did it and, and they never, you know, both those, those people, Brian and Ian would never step in your way and try to step or, you know, take the glory when the job was done. Well, they were never the kind of people who would try to take credit for, you know, what you had, had accomplished. They, they were just there to help you. That's really cool because that's, I don't want to say that's rare, but you know, a lot of times I think in our professional careers, egos get involved. And when you can work with people that are truly passionate about what they do and get out of their own way and just kind of let you do yeah. your job. And especially when you're dealing with self-starters, like you, you don't need to micromanage and just let them do their thing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I was fortunate. And I'm, you know, I saw, you know, my share of, of those type of people, the micromanagers who are, you know, have the egos and, and maybe not the confidence and, you know, want to, you know, want to get in the way. And, uh, I was just extremely fortunate to have these two that just, mm. just, you know, have at her. And, you know, I was always, you know, thinking outside the box and coming up with concepts and, and, uh, you know, through that 34 years is absolutely fantastic. It, it's funny though, you know, when, when, you know, the last year I was there, as much as it was the best job I've ever had, I knew it was time. You know, I'd, I'd mm -hmm. been around the block a lot of times, and I just knew it was time to kind of move on to the next phase of my life. I was finding that work was getting in the way of the things I wanted to do, which number one was fishing. And um, it was just, it was time to go and make room for, you know, some of the people that I'd helped to develop. And um, yeah, and now I'm, I'm lucky enough to kind of keep up with them, and, and they put up with me, so... So still got my fingers in it a little bit. Well, let, let's let's get back to this. So so we're chatting tonight with uh, Steve Miracle. Now, Steve uh, is a guide in the Kamloops uh, area. Um, great Stillwater region. Um, also is is uh, a retired small lakes biologist. I, I really, I, I want to get to the steelhead, but it's really hard for me to know where to start with you because I got so many questions for you. So... Talk to me about still water. So when you, mm -hmm. as a biologist who happens to be a passionate fly fisher, talk to me about the still water region of Kamloops, like region three, what is it, what does it mean to you? And, 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 and just kind of walk our listeners through kind of what we have, because I, I think a lot of people don't realize it. Well, you know, it, it, it's bizarre, Mark. We, we've got in this region alone, it makes up 6% of the province, the Thompson region. It's got 1,100 sports fish bearing waters in it, you know, in 6% of, of British Columbia, you know, which is an astronaut. I mean, I, I remember looking and seeing an ad for Alberta and they were boasting about having 800 uh, sports fish bearing waters in Alberta. We've got 1,100 in this little small region. Mm -hmm. And, you know, particularly the southern part of our region, which probably has two, 300 lakes in the drier section, 
you know, they, everything comes together. You know, the lakes are, are shallow, super productive. The soils are productive. Um, the, you know, as I say, the lakes are, are shallow. The, the, the growth in these lakes are absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, as a result, we've got, you know, we've got probably 20 lakes that you're fishing on that, you know, you obviously you're not going to catch them every day, but there's a potential to catch a fish 10 pounds or over. Uh, and these, these are public lakes and, and, you know, certainly to catch a fish that's, you know, in the, in the three to five pound range in these lakes isn't unusual. It's, mm. it's kind of a normal day. Um, you know, and every day, you know, every day is different, but, uh, it, it's just absolutely phenomenal what we have here. Um, you know, and, and, and the biggest, you know, the biggest choices, you know, like the biggest choice is where do I go today? Yeah. You know, I do. there's so many, so many choices and, and not, not one of them is wrong. I mean, there's just, you know, we've got so many great lakes and so many big fish and, and, um, you know, really it comes down to looking at the weather and the wind and, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm really fortunate to have a great network of guys who, who are out cause I can't cover the water all myself, but you know, I'm touching bases with these, these very good ardent, um, driven fishermen and they're, they're giving me an idea, you know, well, this fish, well, this day, this fish, well, and of course you got your diaries that you go back to and you look and, and, uh, you know, what was, you know, was this had a good chronomid hatch. Uh, when was that? Okay. I flipped through now. Okay. There it is. <laughs> so, you know, you use all of that information to, to make your choice and, and, um, you know, you, you typically have a good day. So, yeah, it's this, this area is, is absolutely phenomenal. Talk to me, um, talk to me a little bit about strains. And I, I think I have an inkling of where you're going to go with this, but if you had to pick, you know, between the Fraser Valleys, the Blackwaters, the Penasks, uh, some of the newer strains that we have, uh, um, coming on board, where would you, if you could have your fish your way in the, uh, kind of Thompson Nicola region, what would you be chasing? Well, there, there's no question that the Panask rainbow is the is the the best fighting fish that we have in our waters. Other, other than I got to put the caveat in, other than kokanee. I mean, you you get a kokanee on a fly rod, and there's nothing tops that. Is that right? But oh, they are. You know, Brian Chan told me this 25 years ago. He said I would rather catch a two pound kokanee than a five pound rainbow. Hmm. You're on drugs. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> And then we got out and, and we got into, into two pound kokanee and they, half those kokanee will take you into your backing. I mean, on as, as good as rainbows fight, you know, I can, I can count on one hand and have probably or two hands, let's say, and have a couple of fingers left for the number of rainbows that actually take me into my backing in a year. Yeah. Uh, kokanee, it's, it's easily one in three, you know, I, I remember hooking two on a double header on two rods and I'm holding both rods up in the air and they're stripping me way out into my back and they're both coconut. And I managed to slow one down and put it down under my foot and brought the one in and brought the other one in. But yeah, they are absolutely phenomenal mm. fish. Any chance, hard to find any chance that's on highway five, a, it could be. Yeah, or, it could be. Sorry. I can, I can edit <laughs> that. I can edit that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, that certainly is is one of them. But there's there's some lakes up in Highway 24 as well that uh, that really really crank out some some big kokanee. Mm, so good uh, stuff. I but I have not caught a uh, a kokanee on a fly rod, and uh, I fish 
every day where, well, not every day, but I fish a lot where there are kokanee, but they're usually big water systems. What kind of flies mm-hmm. do you, do you normally use for kokanee? What, what works for all, you? All the, all the same, Mark. It's, it's, uh, it's coronamids, mayflies and damsels. Hmm. Um, you know, the same thing, you know, we're, we're catching, you know, we're catching them right alongside the, uh, the rainbows, you know, you, you rainbow, 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 kokanee, kokanee. They seem to, they seem to kind of come in and, in, in fast moving schools and then swing out, but you know, we're catching them in seven feet of water sometimes. See, that's my problem. Know? I'm fishing 250 feet in Okanagan Lake with 200 feet yeah. down on a strike <laughs> indicator and it, it you yeah. Know, yeah, yeah. I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Good luck on that one. You gotta wait a long time for that one to sink. Uh, yeah, so. I'm still waiting for it to sink. <laughs> so um No, but 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 back to the rainbows, you know, absolutely the um the panask is the is the ultimate fighting fish, but they are the slowest growing fish hmm. and, and typically the slimmest fish. So they're you know, with a with a, with a few exceptions, they're the ones that are gonna be you know, for length, they're going to be your, your lighter fish. Right. And then, you know, the black waters, you know, we brought the black waters in as a, as a piscivore. So, a, you know, a, a, a trout that will eat other fish, other mm-hmm. coarse non-salmonid fish. And they, to, in my mind, they've been a bis, bit of a disappointment on that avenue. They, they really only work in lakes that are, are very productive to where the black water juveniles can grow up to a size and condition where they can actually make that switch to start feeding on fish. So they're, they're not the perfect, um, piscivore by any means, but they, they are an absolutely phenomenal, um, you know, trout for, um, for growing, uh, especially in, in higher pH lakes, mm-hmm. you know, like stump Lake and, and, um, Morgan Lake, six mile Lake, you know, some of those lakes that, that have a higher pH and others, um, you know, they, the, the Panasque, they, they reared in and they evolved in Panasque Lake, which has a pH of around seven. And whereas the, um, the black waters came from waters that are around eight. So, hmm. you know, you're, you have pH of eight. Um, so they are, mo- you know, far more adapted to be able to handle, you know, that higher pH. See that, that so, so, I got to interrupt you because this, this is where I need your input as a, as, as a biologist who can help me with this because I, I'm, you're saying what I love to hear because I mean, I'm, a, I, I love fishing Panas, Blackwater's okay. Um, but the thing I don't understand, and I'm going to throw a lake at you and, and you can, I don't want to stir the pot, but yeah. Salmon Lake. I, I yeah. why are we okay, here's a question for you. Why are we putting blackwater rainbows in lakes that don't have red sided shiners or 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 minnow pa- you know what I mean? Like trying to I don't understand that. Maybe you can help me with that. Um well I I, I started when I was stalking Salmon Lake, I was putting um all female triploid panasks in, in Salmon Lake. I, I suspect the reason they put black waters in um, and I'm guessing here, Mark, but I'm, I'm expecting they put it in because that's what, av- what was available at the time. Um, mm-hmm. you know, hatcheries, hatcheries can only, you know, and, and I think it was following the winter kill that they had on, on Salmon Lake. Right. Uh, right. and, and, and so it was more of an emergency thing. And I suspect that Andrew, um, contacted the hatchery and said, Hey, we need whatever he got in the five or 10,000 fish for Salmon Lake. And they said, well, all we got is black water. And he said, yeah. Okay, but I I suspect and I haven't talked to Andrew about this specifically, but um, I suspect if if we 
was me, I would certainly look at putting Panasque rainbows in in uh, in Salmon Lake because there's no pH issue there, and uh, it is it is a lake that's just ideal, I think, for Panasque rainbows. I, I love that lake. First off, and uh, yeah. last time I went, I was really disappointed, and and I. Yeah. I think it had something to do with that. So I, I, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to point fingers. I'm just, I'm just asking because, um, nope. I got, I got no, it, friends ask me the same thing. Hey, why, why is this happening? I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a fisheries biologist, but, um, I find it interesting. I just think that, and I noticed now we're pushing this, this other strain and uh, help me with this. I'm not dragging. Um, uh, it's a, it's a blackwater carp, type fish that jumps. Carp or no, horsefly? Horsefly. Horsefly. That yeah. seems to be kind of the the golden nugget right now. And I did fish a couple lakes for those, but they're just not the the insect feeders that those. You know, as fly fishers, we want we want to be able to catch them on terrestrials. We want to be able to catch them, yeah. you know, on chironomids and and leech patterns, and not necessarily big bait fish. So for me, it's just well, like, it, why it, would it, we go away from what what we have? Well, I, I think, Mark, uh, you know, it, it, it's never one size fits all. I mean, panas are not ideal in every situation. Blackwaters aren't ideal. Fraser Valley certainly aren't ideal in every situation. Right. And I think horse flies are going to be in there as well. I mean, you know, we, uh, we, we actually toyed around many, many years ago stalking Gerard Rainbows. I still get people coming into me, hey, I, you know, up to me and saying, hey, you know, all these, you know, these Gerards are sure doing good. And I go, well, you know, hate to break this to you, but. We, you know, we stalked them once here and they didn't show up and, you know, we moved away from them. So you're not, you're looking at Blackwaters or something else. You're not looking at Gerard. Right. But I think, I think horseflies, you know, the, the beauty of the horsefly strain, I think, is that they, they grow fast. They're extremely aggressive fish. They probably will be a good, a good piscivore, a good fish eater. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the question, they, they, they did evolve eating, eating salmon. And, the, you know, the question is, will they jump over and eat? you know, cyprinids and, 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 you know, other minnow species, that's going to be the real test. And I think they are, uh, the other real beauty of them, if, if they can carry it over is that they're a long lived fish. So where most trout, you know, we'll look at the females, most trout females are maturing between three, four or five years old, mm-hmm. you know, predominantly four years old. Those horse flies don't mature until five, six, seven years ah, old. Ah, Interesting. So you're going to get that extra if, if they hold. Now, when you move them from a, you know, a, a big oligotrophic lake like Quinell Lake or Horsefly Lake into these very productive shallow waters, you might lose that trait. You know, they might grow so fast that you actually, these fish actually start maturing at an earlier age. But, but I think the hope is that these fish will actually mature, um, you know, at five or six rather than three or four. Well, then, you know, you put an extra year's growth wow. on an aggressive fish in our kind of, you know, our productivity of water, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're going to start cranking a, a, you know, very big fish out. Wow. So. Yeah. See, and this is yeah. why I'm asking somebody like yourself that question, because that's, you know, to the lay person, it's like, why are we doing this? But hey, uh, yeah. maybe yeah, it makes no. sense. Well, I'll tell you that, you know, the Freshwater Fishery Society, I have been so impressed with, with them and the, the quality of fish that they're kicking out. Like, you know, I, I moved here in 69 and, you know, I wasn't a great fisherman, but I caught a lot of fish. But the, the kind of fish I can remember back then until now, that the quality of fish that we are catching now compared to, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago 
there's no comparison mm. that, you know, you know, the fact that you can go and sit on water and, and when you, back when I was a, you know, a kid or a young adult, you know, if you caught a three pound fish in a year, you know, in a year, if you caught one or two, three pound fish, that was phenomenal. You know, now we can go to lakes where you're getting that every day. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, and then that's, you know, that's a credit to the, you know, to the prescriptions, the type of fish and this, the numbers of fish and maybe the age of fish we're putting in, but then also the quality of fish that the, that the society is kicking out. Yeah. A hundred percent agreed. And that that's one thing as much as, you know, there's always questions about why are we doing this? What's going on there? And I am so grateful for what, what, you know, the BC uh, freshwater fishery society does because, uh, without them, you think about it, a lot of these lakes wouldn't winter. Uh, we really would have some a lot of limited opportunities, and I think that uh, it's a great revenue generator for our area. Yeah. And uh, you know, I think they're doing a great job. It just I just find the science behind it fascinating. I know literally nothing about it, um, but I know yeah. Yeah. I love chasing those panas, and and that's not going to probably change, but. Um, that's one thing that I noticed too in our region, and maybe you can speak to this a little bit. Like, let's say you're fishing a lake and it winter killed, and it's mm-hmm. got, say, it's got uh, Fraser Valleys in it because they, you know, they wanted something that would grow pretty quick. And you know, when you hook a fish, a lot of times in our region, the strain that it is. Yeah, yeah, pretty quick. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you bring up a good point. I mean, the Fraser Valleys, I mean, their niche is the fact that they grow like stink. I mean, those fish can reach 10 pounds in three years. I mean, they are, they are just pigs, you know, they just, they're eating machines. And, you know, it's funny, you know, I, I, I talk to a lot of guys like, oh, I don't like the Fraser Valleys, but you know, when, when we get a lake that's producing Fraser Valleys that are, you know, pushing eight to 10 pounds, I see those guys out on that lake because <laughs> they, ev- everybody likes to catch big fish. Yeah. And, you know, we, we can, in, in numerous lakes, we can get, you know, Blackwaters and, and even Panask up, you know, pushing that size, eight, 10, even above that. But, you know, if you want a real producer, um, you, you put those Fraser Valleys in. I, I really liked mixing Panask and Fraser Valleys together because you know they they seem they didn't seem to compete yeah. too terribly bad and you know against each other and yet you know you you get these you you it's just like almost like a mixed stock fishery because like you say you know when you hit a Fraser Valley you know because it doesn't come out of the water you know yep. Fraser Valleys don't jump they dog it. but but they're big they dog and you get them in i mean they're they're a beautiful fish oh yeah um you know absolutely stunning heavy spotted fish and then when you get a Panask on, it's out of the water and screaming, typically not quite as big as the Fraser Valley, but, but it, I just always found that mix was really nice. You know, having those, those two strains of fish, it, it just, uh, it really added to the, to the quality. And it, you know, it comes down to if you've just got Panask or you just got Fraser Valleys, you pretty much know what you're going to catch. Whereas if you got the mix, you're not, you're not sure what you're going to catch. And it, it just kind of adds to the, uh, you know, to the charm of the, of the water body. You're verbalizing some things today that, uh, I haven't heard and, uh, I can't agree more because I will tell you that my favorite lakes are lakes that have exactly what you just said, Panask and Fraser. So I, I could think of like three or four right off the top of my head that, um, are my, my go-tos. And, and, yeah. and, and the cool thing about that is 
uh, tell me if this has been your experience, but say you're fishing a blob or like a, a, a booby or something that's maybe a little more of an attractor type pattern. Those phrasers will hammer it. Whereas I find the, oh, yeah. I find the bananas is like, <laughs> show, show me a chronomen. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like well, it, it you, opens your eyes a little bit. Well, you know, what's really interesting, Mark. One of the reasons that I, I did it and I have to, I have to credit Brian Chan again, you know, he was, he was retired, but we were putting, we were putting um, just Fraser valleys and Eastern Brook trout in, 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 in some of our lakes. And we were noticing in that the, the guys that were fishing offshore with power bait, they just throw it out there a mile out there and they <laughs> sit there and they watch their rods. And, and the Fraser valleys, it, it, it was like taking candy from a baby. It was just boom, boom. They were just, you know, they were catching all these fish. Yeah. And, you know, and, and Brian said to me, geez, you know, we, you know, that you know, we can't, we can't keep putting Fraser valleys cause they're just getting dragged out. So I said, well, why don't we, why don't we cross, you know, and, and, and do a half and a half split with Panask and see what happens. And we did that. And definitely to your point, the, the panas do not hit power bait or blobs or colorful things <laughs> nearly as, as, as much as the Fraser valleys. But, you know, along the way, I also found, Hey, this made a great fishery because you, oh, yeah. you know, you, you've got these two strains of fish that really offer their, you know, their, their own attributes. Each, each strain offers its own attribute mm-hmm. and, and together it's, it's just magical. That's cool. That's really interesting because yeah, they're each bringing something. I got a theory on that and you can tell me I'm just an idiot, but when I, <laughs> anytime I fish, a lake with Frasers, I think in my own mind, okay, so you got these Panasque fish that are genetically wild fish. I mean, Panasque Lake is a lake that's never been stocked. They don't see a lot Correct. of power bait. It's a fly. No. So, so when, <laughs> no. And I always think of these stalkers, you know, you're throwing pellets to them. So when they see power bait or something round that, or a strike in, <laughs> a strike indicator on your chronomen, oh, yeah. they're going to hit that oh, because yeah. it looks like something yeah. they grew up with. It's imprinted in their brain. Guess what? Yeah. You know, Joe was throwing fish pellets at me my whole, you know, juvenile life. That. I'm t- and my and my mom's life and her mom's <laughs> life and you know it, it's genetically imprinted absolutely and you know we we find you know even though on a lot of these lakes we're stocking 50 50 um panask to to fraser valleys you know by the time they're they're catchable in good size i would say that you know just on catch rate and fraser valleys are easy to catch i would say that, that the, the panas are probably 70 80 percent of the catch you know, I don't know what happens to these Fraser Valleys, I, you know, but they, they do not do as well as the, as the Panas as far as survivability, yeah. you know, and moving forward. And as they, you know, as they, as they get to be catchable and, and bigger fish. It's, so, it's funny you said that because I've noticed the same thing on the lakes that I frequent is that those Frasers, I, I just, my gut feel tells me their mortality is, is a lot more sensitive when you release them. You know what I mean? Well, you know, they're trough-raised fish, and I've, I've had the guys at the society tell me that they, you know, they've done studies, and, and they don't avoid predation because they're not a wild fish. I mean, you know, a loon's coming at them, 
and Panas just instinctively mm-hmm. know to get the hell out of the way. Whereas, whereas Fraser Valdez go, well, that's cool. I've never seen one of those before. <laughs> and boom, next thing you know, they're being eaten. So, you know, there, there is something to the fact that, that, you know, wild fish, they, they have it genetically imprinted to avoid predation right. and, uh, and, and, and take care, you know, even for ospreys, you know, don't stay up near the surface too long. Whereas I'm sure Fraser Valdez will just, you know, do to do kind yeah. of travel along. And do do so do. I think, yeah. I th- yeah, exactly. I think, I think they do. And and they are, they probably bite a little more readily. So the likelihood of hooking mortality is, is higher at a, at a younger, younger age as well. So I think all of those factors lead to a lower number of Fraser Valleys, but, you know, having said that, and you know, this as well in these productive lakes, you know, you'll catch mainly Panath, which is cool, but then all of a sudden you'll catch a, a Fraser Valley that's just a slug. Oh yeah, and you know, and you get those up, and even though they might not fight as well, they still give you a good pull, and you get those things up, and they are just—they're—they're they're a photo fish. They are just a beautiful, you know, big chunk of fish that um, you know it's just so beautiful in the net, and then let them go. They're—they're they're gorgeous. So for anybody, I, I really do like the mix. For anybody that hasn't seen these fish, and uh, you know, they are pretty specific to to British Columbia, but. They, they kind of look like, I always think of those leopard rainbows in Alaska with just full of spots. They actually have spots on their yeah. bellies. There's so many spots, yeah. you know? Yeah. Whereas the Panasca is kind yeah. of the polar opposite of that. But Yeah, they couldn't be more different. I mean, you know, the real quintessential Panasca hardly has a spot on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're and they're both gorgeous. It's funny how we talk about fish. I mean, they're both gorgeous in their own ways. Look at all those spots. Oh, look at that fish. It's got no spots. It's beautiful, right? And mm-hmm. then, yeah, I mean they're both in their own way. They're both absolutely gorgeous. So yeah, no, it's it's great having the combination. Yeah, we're we're pretty fortunate for sure. L- l- I yeah. want to switch gears on you, Steve, a little bit, and I want to talk rivers. I want to talk Thompson because I got a lot of listeners that are huge steely, uh, huge steelhead fans, and and do a lot of um, you know wet swing fly for steelhead or, um, and I got to tell you. Growing up in in the Okanagan, I spent a lot of time on on the Thompson trying to catch the old elusive monster steelhead, but I kind of missed the yeah. glory days, to be honest. And yeah. I I I got to tell you, I was standing at Spences Bridge, and we weren't fly fishing; we were uh, we were using yarn and dink floats. But yeah. but the. Yeah the biggest fish i've ever seen in my life it looked like you talked about those gerards it was like a i don't know how big it was but it was it was the biggest kind of looking rainbow type fish i've ever seen porpoised in front of me and i lost my breath and i went i just went <laughs> what the hell was that and it was just kind of like giving me the wave it was just like yeah, I don't, yeah whatever i know what you're up to but i'll never forget how big that fish was and i i always regret m- you know, kind of missing out on that fishery. Talk to me about the Thompson. Yeah. I know that's such a huge part of your life. Well, well, the Thompson, first of all, really interesting. I mean, the Thompson steelhead and the Panasque rainbow are virtually the same fish. You know, at, at the time of, you know, the retreat of glaciation, the, those fish came in. And what's really interesting, they actually came in through the Columbia. Mm-hmm. The fish in the, in the Thompson are actually from the Columbia. Same with the Chilcotin fish. The upper Fraser fish are from the Columbia. The Fraser and the Thompson flowed down through the Okanagan, went by your back door, mm-hmm. and, and into the Columbia, and they came up here. So the fish in the lower Fraser are, are actually um, 
freezer fish and they're they're i would say they're somewhat inferior but yeah the, the thompson fishery was and hopefully someday will be again probably not in my lifetime but they those fish you know our our runs our average runs when i was working on it were about between 12 and 1500 fish and our biggest run when i was working on it that started in about i started in 84 and um 85 and 86 were our real big years you know we estimated the run strength to only be 3000 you know 2500 3000 fish so we're not talking you know compare that to my daughter's actually working up in the skeena now and mm -hmm. you know she tells me that the bulk we gets twenty thousand steelhead a year on average and i'm like what wow i didn't even know that right and here we're talking and you know how big the bulk is it's a big river but it's nothing like the thompson mm -hmm. and yet we only get a, a measly 12 to 1200 to, to 1500 fish and the fishery is phenomenal but it you know it really came down to knowing where to fish the thompson you know there there's it's a big river but there's probably 20 spots that that hold you know, I'm guessing maybe 20, 30 spots that would consistently hold fish. And, um, you know, if you knew those spots and you knew how to work those spots, it, it was phenomenal. And what, what the Thompson fish lacked in actual numbers, they made up in, in sheer aggression. I mean, they are, <laughs> you know, some of the absolute most aggressive steel and I fish steel had, you know, all over, up in the skein of the Dean, you know, over in the Gold River, all over the island. You know, Thompson, by far and away, in my mind, are the most aggressive steelhead that I've ever seen. And, man, when they took, if you weren't ready, you you were probably breaking them off, which I did a lot of. <laughs> um, you know, and they were big. You know, our, our the steelhead averaged, um, I think I did a lot of creel work on there and the average size of the steelhead there were 16 pounds. Wow. I mean, every year we were seeing fish that were, you know, over 25 and, and typically, you know, kind of pushing out to 30 pounds. Unbelievable. So they, they were absolutely, I say were, you know, I, I, uh, I, you know, they are still there, but we've gone down to about a hundred fish or, you know, between one and 200 fish, unfortunately. Really? Now. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We're, we're really, really, really low. And I, you know, I think, I think it's kind of the canary in the, in the mine shaft. I think we're seeing, unfortunately seeing sockeye go the same way. And, you know, some of our other fish in the freezer go the same way, but, but um, yeah, I mean, th there was just no, no fish in my mind that I know of no freshwater fish that was, that was better to catch than a, uh, than a Thompson steel. And I had the good fortune of, you know, of, of catching them both sports fishing. And then of course we were doing a lot of radio tagging and such. Um, uh, I, I had an opportunity to do a lot of angling for them with work as well. And, oh man, they, they, they still absolutely mesmerize me. My best fishing memories are, are actually Thompson steel at bar none. Well, and I think you hit on something there. Cause like the DNA of those fish, it's, it's throughout our region, whether you're fishing, you know, like you said, the parts of the Columbia or, or maybe even further north. The, there's something, when you see those fish, even even the rainbows in that system, to me, have a different look. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree. And, you know, you can probably include the blackwaters in that as well because the blackwaters would be would be an offshoot of, of, the, um, of the probably the Chilcotin uh, they're Choco steelhead. Mm -hmm. So, 
you know, the, the, the trout that we have here are, are, you know, direct descendants of, of the Thompson and Fraser steelhead runs. And, you know, as big as they get, um, probably what's more impressive is the power that they, that they give when you hook them and, uh, you know, their fight, you know, we, we kind of laugh at, you know, we laugh at the, um, at the Fraser valleys, but, but there's a lot of, a lot of lakes around that have those, you know, hatchery raised fish just over and over again. And we're, we're just so blessed and so lucky to have access to these wild stocks right. that, that we can put in, into lakes. And you, you know, you can dump, you know, some of our private lakes and I know other lakes around the, the, the continent where, you know, they're, they're, they're dumping these, um, you know, these, these hatchery fish and they're great looking fish, but they do not, you know, they just don't hold a candle to the way they, the way the wild fish fight. Um, and that, that's a huge part of, of what we've got here. If you could have your fish your way on your dream trip, let's say you're fishing the still water. Are you looking for not only a panask or whatever the strain may be, but are you looking for a triploid or a diploid, uh, all female fish? What's your dream fish in, in your home waters? Well, that's a really good question. You know, it, it, it it's interesting. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the, we, we used to think the triploids were going to be, you know, that magic bullet and answer to everything. And, and they're not, I mean, in, in the right waters, triploids are amazing fish. Um, they don't grow as fast as the diploids as a normal spawning fish, mm-hmm. but the advantage that they have is that, you know, the, the, the diploids, the fish that mature, they, they kind of drop out of the fishery at four years old, whereas the triploids keep on cooling. So if you get a five or six year old triploid, they are an absolute silver bullet and, and they just smoke. So my, you know, I, I, I don't know if I can really answer that. Um, yeah, fair enough. Exclusively because they're, they're, they're both in their own rights. They are both spectacular fish. And, um, and I, I, I absolutely love a, a big triploid. Oh my God. They are, they are just nuts. Yeah. But you know, you, you get, you get into some of our lakes that, that produce, you know, by the time a fish is four, four years old, just the, you know, maiden fish that's going to probably be spawning the next year, but they're, you know, they're still pushing five, six, seven, eight pounds, you know, and they're diploid They They are just absolutely amazing. So I can't say any one or the other, mm-hmm. but the, you know, those, those big fish just, just get the mojo going. But it's funny because that, and I'm, I'm kind of the same era, whereas like triploid is, is the bomb. This is what you want. This is what you want to catch. And then I kind of started noticing that that wasn't always the case and you know depending on the waters you're fishing depending on uh, you hit on something earlier in the podcast is the age of the fish so you know when you're dealing Mm -hmm. with some of these horsefly strains that may get to be six seven i mean i what would be the what would be an old rainbow trout in your mind well, you know, we've seen old rainbow trout. I mean, we've got some some private lakes where where we put rainbow trout that don't get harvested and in many cases hardly get caught. And an old rainbow trout gets up to probably eight, nine. You won't see many rainbow trout that get older than ten years old. That's old. But what's you know what's really interesting about the mark is you know you think oh they're just going to keep growing and growing and growing, but they don't. They turn into old men and old ladies like they just. <laughs> They, they get crooked, they, they, their body uh, mass starts to shrink down, they have this huge head, yeah. and uh, yeah. they're not a good-looking fish. Yeah. Uh, even, even triploids, even triploids, and these are triploids, that, that they just, 
they seem to just hit that, you know, they hit that prime age of up around, you know, six years old, mm. maybe, maybe seven. And then, and then they just drop off. But, you know, the beauty, the best fish are always, are always just before they mature. The maiden fish, you know, that spring or fall, just before they're going to mature, those are going to be your best fish. Once a fish, <laughs> once a fish spawns, yeah. you know, once, once it goes in and spawns and comes back into the water, it, it will never be as big as it was far as weight goes it'll probably be the same length it'll never be in as good a condition as it was as as it was when it was a maiden fish prior to spawning Mm. because you know they come back into the water even if it's a productive lake they'll feed and once their body knows they've got enough you know fat and and conditioning they'll immediately make the switch and start to develop gonads again so they'll never they'll never get back up you know, I used to have guys that, you know, they catch these 30 pound steelhead and they, they're 25 pound steelhead and they go, oh man, that, that must be a repeat spawner. And you know, I say, no, it's not, you know, a repeat spawner would kind of be a skinny kind of, yeah. you know, uh, it, it, that is a maiden fish. You, know, that, that is your prime fish. Do you know what's echoing in my mind right now? Just the way, the way you're verbalizing that is okay. So here, here's, here's how I would look at that is let's say you're fishing a, um, for salmon and you get those chrome chrome fish and they're just clean and they're ready to go and they're scrappy as hell and then mm-hmm. you know they fight like crazy and then you get the one that's been in the system for a while it's spawned out it's tired but when you yeah i would take a two pound chrome rainbow any day over a seven pound you know, darker fish that maybe has been, you know, doesn't have a lot of energy, but you get those two, yeah. three pounders that are, um, that those are the ones that rip into your backing. Oh, I, I, I agree with you hundred percent. The, the, I, I've always said that your, your fish that's around three pounds, two to three pounds is your best fighting fish pound for pound. Yeah. You know, the, the big fish get you going, especially if you do get a big fish, it's still a maiden fish. And, and wants to go you know, that is great. But, you know, as far as aerial goes and, and ripping line goes, your two to three pound fish are your best fish. No, no question. Steve, how would you, this is a bit of a weird question, but I fish a lot of catch and release lakes. And I, I just, in the back of my mind, when I'm catching some of these fish that have been caught over and over again, they seem to give it up, uh, faster Mm -hmm. than, than a fish that's never been caught or a wild fish. Has that been your experience? Yeah, I I tend to agree with you. I you know we we do in those catch and release release lakes we do stock a lot of um, uh, most often actually we'll stock triploid fish because there won't be any natural recruitment, so we know we can get away with triploid fish and typically they're very productive waters and so you know triploids don't do well in 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 unproductive sterile waters but they do extremely well in productive waters, but I, I you know I think. I don't know if it's a memory or what it is, but I, I think they, you know, when, when a fish has been, been caught numerous times, it's, it's almost like they do, they just do give it up mm-hmm. and they just go, yeah, you know what? I've been here before. Let's get this over with, get the hook out and, yeah. and away you go, you know? So, um, mm-hmm. you know, there certainly are exceptions. I mean, I, I fish some of those catch and release lakes and maybe I'm catching a fish that hasn't been, you know, hasn't been caught quite as enormously but you know what we got to remember is that you know those catch and release lakes that we have i mean they're they're there to grow big fish we stock them at extremely low densities and they attract a lot of effort 
you know, they're, they're, you know, the, 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 the good, and they attract a lot of good effort, like good quality anglers. Cause those guys are there. They don't care how many fish they catch in a day, but they're there, you know, for the opportunity to catch a fish in the, you know, five to 10 pound range. Yeah. So they get a lot of effort. They've seen a lot of things. And, and I, I agree with you. They, they can, some of them can be a little bit doggy cause they've just been, been caught and released so much. It, 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 it's really interesting. I mean, we, we've seen a real transition in, in my lifetime. Um, you know, when I started fishing, I would say that probably 90% of the fish that were caught were harvested. Right. Um, you know, the only, the only reason you would let a fish go is it was too small or it was a spawner, you know, but that's been a total flip around where I would, I would estimate that the, the, the catch and release rate now is, you know, probably 90% of the fish are being released. Let me throw this at you. I, I had uh, John Alexander from Fly BC on one of the first guys I had not long after Brennan Lund. And, uh, mm-hmm. I remember him saying, and I, I, I love the way he verbalized this. He said, it used to be, you know, when we were growing up or we starting to fly fish, did you limit out? It, it, it wasn't yeah. how many fish did you catch or how was the fish and yeah. did you limit out? It's like, well, that's, yeah. that's not even a question anymore. <laughs> not really. No, it, no, it's how many did you get? How'd you do? Yeah. You know, and, and the idea is, and everybody lies to you anyway, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, no, it was okay. Or yeah, no, it was good out there. So, uh, yeah. but you know, that's really changed things too, because, you know, back in the day, you know, the limit was I think when I was growing up, it was about six fish a day, you know, guys would go out and they would, they would catch their six fish and they'd stop fishing. It, you wouldn't even think about catch and releasing fish because it just wasn't in the repertoire <laughs> so you you know you get six nice fish and you go in and you have you know yeah and you wouldn't even go out you start playing cards i mean it'd be the afternoon and you just you just can you imagine you wouldn't go fishing again and and now it's dawn to dusk guys are on water and 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 freaking fish so you know fish fish are getting caught you know a lot more times and a lot earlier in their life than they used to and, and that's, that's become a bit of a challenge from a management perspective, you know, to try to keep, you know, try to keep opportunities open, especially for, for anglers, um, that aren't experts, you know, that, mm-hmm. that, that don't do all the reading and don't have all the best patterns and best leaders and lines and all the rest of it. Well, that's what so, I, I um, love about, about the program that we have. It's, it's not a one size fits all. I mean, you and I are talking about catch and release lakes and, and, you know, trophic lakes that have monster fish potentially, but at the end mm-hmm. of the day, there's a place for those, for those lakes where it's just lights out all the time. And, and maybe that's where the Fraser Valleys are hanging out. And, and if you're taking the yeah. kids out fishing, uh, you don't want to fish for 12 hours before you get a bite. No. And you know, to that point, Mark, I, I, you know, I'd get at least one call a month at work, you know families that that and i had experience with my own family members and friends that you know back in the days you used to be able to catch fish anywhere and now they go out to lakes that and they just can't catch them and so what i did is i actually took four lakes in our region and um they they would regular winter kill and i started stocking with fraser valley catchables and i changed the age restrictive regulation to a youth accompanied regulation Mm. so the these lakes are exclusively um, for basically families. So, so the regulation reads that if you're over 16 or over, you can only fish these waters with someone who's, who's under 16 or who's disabled. 
and you can fish as long as those people are fishing. And so they've got these exclusive opportunities to go onto these lakes where we put catchable fish in. They grow like stink. And, um, you know, by, by September, these fish are up to two, three pounds. So kids and families can go out and, and, and learn how to fish without having all these, you know, all these good rods around them. Right. And, um, and, you know, hopefully, but, you know, the kid gets, gets excited about it and then he starts to develop his skills. And by the time he turns 16, if he's, if he's keen and he started reading and all the rest, well, now he's moving on to, to, you know, waters where he can actually compete. And then we, we open up those lakes October 1st, because we know they're likely to winter kill. We open up those lakes to the, just the general public. Cause we want, you know, mm. we want the fish to be, you know, fish down. And, you know, the numbers Isabel Lake, like I heard, you know, opening day, there was, I mean, it's just a little puddle and there was 20 boats on the lake and, you know, just some of the highest fish fisheries in the region, you know, for the, for the fall period. But they just know that the quality of fish in there is going to be, is going to be crazy. So. Right. Well, that makes sense. And, and again, it's not a one size fits all. I think, I think that means that, you know, the, the stocking program is doing what it should be doing is, is catering to, to all, everybody that's buying licenses and no, that's, yeah. that's good. That's great. Yeah. Diversity, diversity of opportunity is what, you know, what we always try to manage for, you know, we want, we want trophy lakes, we want family lakes. And then, you know, we want kind of our general lakes where, you know, we're going to produce fish in the kind of one to two pound range. And, and, and that all comes down to just simply stocking, stocking rates and, you know, kind of trying to manage the lake to the best of its ability. Steve, are we okay for time? I don't want to, I don't want, I know you're a busy guy. I don't want to take up. Uh, oh, a, I, I can talk forever. Mark. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm are, good. Are you guiding tomorrow? Are you heading out tomorrow somewhere? Or you... Uh, I was out today, actually. Um, Where'd you go? I was out on, I was well, on Stump Lake today. Uh, um, I, I was hoping to, hoping to get some, get some good fish. It was windy. I, I actually wanted to go to Jocko, but the, the fellow I was with really doesn't like Jocko and wanted to fish stump. And I looked at the, you know, the white caps and the mm. laminar lines and I went, you sure? And he goes, yeah. So I said, okay, let's do it. And we, we did okay. We didn't, we didn't kill them, but, uh, you know, we, we got, uh, I don't know, probably 10, 12 fish. So it wasn't bad. Any kokanee? No, this time of year, the kokanee are done. They're actually, that makes sense. they're actually, yeah, they're spawned out and the, the young guys, Actually, I, I was fishing down the north end and uh, and boating back, and I saw dozens upon dozens upon dozens of of uh, little guys jumping out in the deeper water, and I'm almost positive they were kokanee. So it's a good sign for next year; those guys will be the mm. will be the kokanee that hopefully we're pulling lip on next year. And I, yeah, this is totally off the record, but there's not a kokanee that hits my boat that makes it back in the water. Should I edit? Today. Should I edit that? Yeah, well, well, it's up to you. I mean, they're just such a good. I've I've turned into a. I I love fish, but the only fish that I I'll eat Eastern Brook trout, but uh, you know, kokanee. I just they're so good. They're so fat. I like them better than sockeye salmon. Just so you they know, are, I absolutely fantastic. I couldn't agree with you more. I do not like fish. I do not like rainbow trout. I mean, I love halibut. Yeah. I yeah. will not let a kokanee go <laughs> that, well you and i are on the same i, I just page. won't it's just like this no. is like candy and and i know it's, it sounds wrong yeah. as somebody that i release every fish i catch but that yeah. tells you how many no, kokanee I, I catch but I, well you, well you, you know brennan brennan kind of joked with me and he said you know i've never seen a release photo of a kokanee <laughs> on your website you know 
Well, I say you probably won't unless unless I've caught my limit and uh, and I get a couple of extras that I because I'd love to do some really videos with some of those big kokanee, but you know it's 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 hard to let them go because they just are. And I smoke them up. I I actually smoke them up and give them out to my clients as well. And uh, you know yeah, they sure. they just love them. So for the, for those that don't know what we're talking about, and I'm sure you probably do, but basically a li- a landlocked uh, sockeye salmon kokanee. It's it's um, it tastes just like a sockeye salmon, and it's pinker than pink. It's uh, they're tasty, and uh, oh, and the, the fat that comes off of them when you put them on the barbecue just absolutely phenomenal. Well, I grew up in the heyday on Okanagan Lake, and and we used to catch we used to catch big kokanee out there. I'm talking like you know, like oh yeah, three, four, five pound kokanee. And yeah, I they they were you wouldn't know the difference between a sockeye. And now one thing. Yeah. The, the the native uh, tribes have done an amazing, amazing job of bringing back, um, you know, sockeye back to the, mm-hmm. to, to this system. And, and I, I gotta, I yeah. always, I can't tell you the difference I've noticed in fishing with all that extra, you know, nitrogen, all that extra feed, all those extra fry yeah. and no government seem to be able to get that job done and you gotta you gotta take your hats off to to the folks that have worked so hard on that project coming up the columbia columbia basin through all those dams and um you know uh on states on, on the u.s side on the canadian side they're really it's 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 really changed the fishery up here yeah absolutely well you know those big kokanee that you caught i don't know a lot about okanagan lake but those big kokanee that you caught were, and you probably know this, but they were, they're the stream spawners. And, uh, you know, as you know, down there, the streams were denuded, they were straightened out. Um, a lot of that water was pumped in for agriculture. And as a result, you know, those kokanee really took a kicking. And the smaller kokanee that you're probably mostly catching down there now, um, those are actually shore spawners. And they, they've had their own kind of trials and tribulations with development along the lakeshore, but they're still doing pretty good. But I, I know, um, well, both First Nations and, and um, Fish and Wildlife Branch has, has done a great job at, at uh, starting to restore some of those streams and starting to work with the water users and, mm-hmm. and you know, get some, get some water back in, into those streams and flowing through the winter and, and through the critical period of spawning you know, in the fall. And, uh, I'm, I'm really hoping that they can, you know, it's not too late and they can turn that around and get, get those kokanee back in that lake. And, you know, hopefully sometime while you can still hold a rod, you'll be out there catching two, three, four, five pound kokanee again. Yeah. I, well, I've already seen it happen on Skaha Lake. Yeah, it's it's been happening and, and it's, it's now they're, um, they've got the channel going into like the fish ladder, They've opened yeah. up into Okanagan Lake, and they're trying to get you know those fish back to their kind of native um, native habitat. Which, which you know, as somebody that um, you know, I grew up here, and uh, you know, I remember. I, I don't remember sockeye coming up here. I mean, we'd see the odd chinook actually, um, just outside yeah. of uh, between uh, say Asuyas Lake and uh, McIntyre Bluff, but. They never used to be able to make it past McIntyre Bluff, and now they're coming all the way through. And it's just, it's it's amazing to me to see how much life and diversity, you know, that those sockeye are bringing to, to the valley. Oh, 
So absolutely, yeah, I, absolutely. That's a show in itself. I got to get somebody on to talk about that. But it's it's yeah. not. Uh, I mean, that to me is more of a historical significance. And and but let's get back to the stocking and 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 you know the uh, the program that you were so much involved with. Like I know I know that you had a, a big role in kind of eradicating some of those invasive species like perch and sunfish. Uh, it, I think you called it the spiny and, spiny ray free. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that that was a you know that was probably as far as my small lakes work. That was that was probably the jewel in my crown. Um, you know, I I took over from Brian Chan, who was a small lakes biologist in two thousand and three, and at that time we had three lakes that uh, I got to choose my words wisely, but some some individuals uh, <laughs> had had moved in and and released in into uh into these lakes very productive lakes and um you know they had established and it was the end of of any trout fishing uh in those lakes and more importantly than that we were concerned as, as bad as it was to lose these lakes and potentially lose more as you know they started apple seeding around other lakes uh, was these fish escaping and getting down in the Shuswap Lake and then down into the Thompson, the impacts on all of the salmon species that come up, you know, which are, which are dozens and dozens of, you know, Chinook, Pink, Coho and Sockeye into Shuswap and Thompson. And then of course the Thompson steelhead and the various um, rainbow trout uh, stocks we have and, and bull trout as well. So, you know, and we, if they ever did get into this, you know, those main stem systems, we would just become spectators. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, but we still had a chance to actually take steps to eradicate these, these species. And it was, it was smallmouth, largemouth bass, uh, yellow perch, and in some, some lakes, uh, pumpkin seed sunfish. And, you know, when I took over from Brian, I, I realized, look, we, we've got a chance to get these things done, but we got to jump on it. And by the time I, you know, started finding the money and started finding the support um, to, to do these rotenone treatments to eradicate the stocks, we were up to, to five lakes. And then we quickly jumped up to, to eight or nine lakes. It was just amazing how, you know, people started liking these fish and, and moving them around. And, you know, I said, we got to do something. And I, I sold it to the Habitat Conservation Trust Fund, who, you know, we got 90% of our money to do anything came from the Habitat uh, Conservation uh, Trust Fund. They're, they're that surcharge that you pay on your fishing and hunting license. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were instrumental in, in, you know, funding us. But I, you know, so, so now we've got the ability to, to, to go out and, and, and get the product. But I, we had to convince the public. So that was 30, 40 public meetings and, you know, selling them on the problem first and then on, on the solution second, making sure that they're the ones that are saying, you got to do something, right, before you say, we're going to do this. And then, you know, the other part of it, Mark, was that, um, you know, we could go spend anywhere between 100 and a million dollars to treat, to treat a lake. They're really expensive treatments, only to have somebody come in behind us and, and dump those species right back into the lake in a bucket and start all over again. So probably the best thing I did was to, um, to close every one of our lakes 
that can train these spiny ray and I collectively call them spiny ray species. We shut down every one of those lakes to fishing, no fishing period. And mm -hmm. we offered a $25,000 reward for information leading to the conviction of individuals responsible for moving these fish. And we also advertise that it's a, it's a fine of up to a hundred thousand dollars or a year and, or a year in jail if you're caught moving these fish. So we really worked on the disincentives, you know, so the public's watching you cause we got this reward. If you get caught, you could lose your house. You know, you could, you could, you know, lose your family. If you, if, you know, I don't think you'd ever be fined a hundred thousand dollars, but you never know. And if you're successful at stocking these lakes and these fish catch, we're shutting down the lake anyway. So you're not going to be able to fish them. Right. So, you know, we, we had all the disincentives in place and then it was just a matter of, you know, getting the public on board and first nations on board. And they were great. They, they bought into the problem. They really didn't want them getting into the Thompson, the Thompson river system was the last major river system in southern bc to not be infested with these species with these spiny ray species hmm. and you know i i thought you know i mean it, it was probably the toughest job i ever did but i thought you know i, I can't just let this thing go yeah. i mean i can't sit by and watch this thing happen and not at least try and i i fully expected as i was moving forward i fully expected to get shut down and we almost got shut down at two or three points we almost basically folded up shop but we managed to find you know creative ways to get by things and mm. you know at the end of the day we've we've treated i think it was 11 or 12 lakes in this region and and um I'd like to say that we're, we're totally spiny ray free. Unfortunately, the last lake we treated, which is Windy Lake, which is right up above you. Yeah. Um, somebody was Johnny Appleseed and up on the Okanagan side and they, they flipped over and they hit Windy Lake, which is right at the top of the Nicholas system. We got on it and within nine months, we had that lake treated and we got rid of the perch. Unfortunately, we didn't get notification soon enough and, and, I said, just on a whim, I said, well, let's go check Douglas Lake and, you know, some of the lakes around there just to see if, you know, if they'd migrated down and sure enough, you know, my guys put, uh, put gill nets out and they filled them up with perch and went, oh shit. Hmm. So, well, you know, unfortunately the, the perch have got into Douglas and now into Nickel Lake, but, but that's a long way downstream that drains down the Nickel into Spencer's bridge. So the likelihood of perch making it up into, you know, into the Camelot's area, we won't see that in our lifetime. So. Well, that's something I think about with these fish ladders open now, because I mean, I'm, I'm down, down South here and, you know, we got bass, we got perch, we got sunfish and Vassa and Asuyas. Yeah. And, and, and when those, when those weirs are open for the sam salmon to come through, I mean, guess what? I mean, yeah, get, yeah. So, you're letting other things through. Yeah. But I, I think, I think the Okanagan already has all those species. Yeah. That's what I hear. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's really odd, you know, and, and that's the thing is, you know, we can make our best guess um, at, at what, you know, any one of these species will do in, in, a, in a water body. But every every water body is like a different animal. I mean, they, you know, their complexities are, are such that, you know, in Oak, for whatever reason, the spiny rays don't seem to dominate in, in Okanagan Lake. And yet, you know, Vasso and other lakes, they, you know, they by far are the dominant species. Right. So, but you know, yeah. you, I mean, we, you hang around any marinas, you'll see, you'll see them. Yeah. You'll yeah. They're there. Yeah. I, I, I worked on those, um, those fish weirs, those Newberry weirs down in the Oliver area, you know, those, yep. those nice little breaks. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of oversaw the construction of those and I, <laughs> I thought we had problems here until I went down and looked at Okanagan river and it's just, it was just a trench. I'm like, Oh my God. 
but you know you could see as we were building this these um these weirs you could just see the sunfish the bass and and other things swimming around it's like an aquarium and you're going oh man yeah they're certainly there well when when you're trying to protect you know thompson river steelhead adams river sockeye you know anything going up the north thompson that that's a lot of fish and oh absolutely yeah 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 yeah, I mean it, that it, it's absolutely. I mean, you can look at it economically. You can just look at it, you know, ecologically. And for me, ecologically is more important. I mean, these these fish took ten thousand years to evolve and develop. And you know, we we'd look at the small lakes like we'd do a treatment and we'd we kill every fish in the lake. And we we had lakes that we had stocked twenty thousand rainbow trout in over the last three years that that had these spiny ray species. And we had uh, an individual there, um, Brian Heisey, professor from from uh, for fisheries from from um, Thompson Rivers University, and he wanted to collect a dozen of each species just to check their dietary um, habits in the face of the competition. And the 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 the, the over competition of these spiny ray species was so complete that we couldn't find a dozen trout. That's that's how much wow. they out-competed trout. Well, how many, Steve, how many times a year are like perch species like that? How many times a year are they even spawning? It's not like a trout where they spawn once. Well, they, they, from what I know for perch, they only spawn once. Okay. But you take a perch that's four or five inches long, it has 30,000 eggs in its belly. Wow. And they spawn in these long kind of globular um, almost like frogs eggs if you ever seen frogs eggs yep. but these egg these eggs egg masses are there and they cling it onto vegetation you go into a bay and you see these things and if you get there and there at the right time of year and then they you know they, they they're just everywhere it's just this gelatin white gelatin mass and they hatch out within i can't remember what it was seven days or two weeks it's like boom they're in the water and away you go well you, you know that's that's a that's a perch that's four or five inches long you take a you take a trout that's that's 14 inches long. It might have 500 eggs in its belly. Is that all? And it's got, and it's got to go into a creek, and it's got to spawn in moving water. You know the the likelihood of survival. You know of spawning in a lake versus spawning in a creek, digging a red and, and spawning and eggs would be lost. Hmm. You know you're lucky if if you get if it's a clean creek, you might get a 20% survival rate of those of those eggs from a trout. You know in 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 a creek. And so just the sheer numbers, but you know, the other big thing, Mark, about, about these spiny rays, they're, they're much higher evolved than, than trout, you know, trout, when trout feed, they don't, they don't feed on the, on the larval forms of, of, of the invertebrates, you know, much they're, they're typically, you know, you'll see the odd blood worm in them, but in most cases they're picking off things that are swimming. You know, whether mm-hmm. it's coronamids coming up or damsels or dragons swimming, right. you know, leeches obviously in open water. These, these um, spiny ray species, they get right down in the vegetation and they are eating the larval form. You know, what's important is that these insects, their larval forms are the, the, the longest period, by far the longest period of their life. I mean, they, right. you know, you take a, a coronamid, I mean, it's, it, it, it's a, it lives about a year. Well, about, you know, 11 and a half months of its life is spent as a larval form. And then it, it you know, it, it pupates, it hatches out, it goes, and, you know, they breathe, they come back almost within a day and they're, they're laying eggs and they're dying. So 
you know, if you're if you're feeding them the larval form of these things, you are having a much greater impact for a much longer period of time than than feeding on on invertebrates right. that are just just hatching up. That makes sense. So they're scouring, yeah. they're scouring the bottom, right? It, exactly. It's it's and then they can also handle warmer water. So, mm-hmm. you know, when these shoals warm up and we all know that the, the trout have to leave the shoals when, you know, when they get up around uh, 18, 19 degrees, these, these spiny rays are, are super happy in, you know, 20, 21, 22 degrees. So they're, they're living on these productive shoals. And that's where, you know, I always say about 70% of the production comes from, comes from the littoral zone, the shoal areas. These, these spiny rays are on there all year round. Mm. So they're feeding in the, in the top you know, the, the most productive areas year round where the trout have to leave and feed in the deep pelagic water. Right. Yeah, that makes you sense. Know. Yeah. I, I'm, so. I'm going to, I'm going to get back to fishing just for a moment. Like talk to me, I want you to paint a picture. So Steve, if you could kind of have your day, your way anywhere in region three or wherever your favorite water would be, what does that look like? What, what are you chasing? Is there a coffee involved in the morning? Is it a, you know, walk us through that day. Well, you know, I, I, I'd have to almost give it two days, Mark, um, or two trips. Well, you know, back in the day when I, when I, when I would steelhead fish, you know, it, it was hopping in a boat first thing in the morning, um, on the Thompson river, you know, I, I've got this double ender Achilles and I, I paddle my way across and then walk down the tracks to a, to a run. Uh, the run was called Bighorn, by far my favorite run in the whole river. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the Thompson, you know, you look at it, it's just the perfect level. It, it, and this, this runs just a big riffle and to get out to the fishable water, you've got to wade probably about 70 yards out. I mean, it's a, it's a long way to go. And it's, it's like walking on greased, greased marbles. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, you, you got cleats on and you're still slipping and sliding, but you know, you get out there, you know, you're up to, you know, you're kind of up to your, your ankles or maybe, maybe your knees. And, you know, you've got this beautiful riff of water in front of you. And, you know, you, you lay that fly out. I'm, I'm fishing a single-handed rod back then. And you just lay the fly out. You know, the water is only when it's perfect. It's, it's three feet deep. And you're just watching that thing swing. And, you know, even if you're fishing a, a damp fly, you see the surge and and this fish will just come up and and you just hold on you basically point the rod and these fish once they're hooked they're in such shallow water they bust downstream they your line your reel is just screaming and i would say at least half the time you're breaking them off even you know fishing a 20 pound tippet (laughs) there's just no way to hold them and you know when they run downstream just because of the nature of the way this run goes, they're in the middle of the river. I mean, they're, you're, you know, they're running in the middle of the river. And even if you do manage to hold them on, you, you lose half of them at least um, just on the run and then trying to bring them back up and the surges and the runs, <laughs> it, it just, it's just, and, and you got all this grease below your feet trying, yeah. trying not to, not to drown. Uh, you know, that to me is, it's, I'll, I'll never forget that to my dying days is getting out there and, and, and fishing that, wow. you know, so, so that would be my river story. And then lake story is, I got to say almost every day I hop into a boat, you know, whether it's with a client or, or, you know, with a buddy or sometimes even by myself. And, 
you know, same thing in the morning that it's, it's that anticipation of not knowing, you know, you're, you're, you're like I say, we're so fortunate to have these big fish lakes. You, you, you go out and, and you know, typically you're a little bit early, you know, they don't really get going until about, you know, nine, 10 o'clock, mm-hmm. but you're out there and it's the anticipation. And then, you know, particularly if it's a mis- mixed stock lake and, and I'm crazy about kokanee, if I'm going out in the lake and it's got some kokanee in it, I know the chance of catching kokanee is there. It's that anticipation. And then, you know, watching that bobber go down and, and just this, the scream is just, hmm. you know, I can't get enough of it. It's just uh, absolutely crazy. And, and sharing that, I, I absolutely love sharing that with people, especially people who haven't done a lot of it, haven't seen that kind of thing. Like to see the smile on their face and, and, you know, the shock and when they see the size of these fish or, you know, the numbers of fish that we can catch up here, it's, it's, it just, you know, I've always enjoyed that, you know, seeing people kind of for the, for the, their best time they've ever had. So, yeah, no, that's, <laughs> you got my blood pressure going there with that. I'm still chasing <laughs> yeah, we... that Thompson steelhead, that, that elusive oh. uh, ghost and those, oh. those slippery rocks yeah. when you, I can't tell you, and I've only fished it maybe a handful of times, but you used to be taking your life in your hands, balancing on some of those boulders. Oh, well, you know, I, I remember walking down, I, I was, it was 1984. So I was just out of, out of BCIT and I was walking down in Lytton and I didn't really realize how slippery the rocks were. And there was probably 10, 12 anglers lined up along, you know, where the Fraser and the, the Thompson come together. Mm-hmm. And I'm walking upstream. And I don't even remember it. I ended up doing a total flip and down and my head, my hair was, when I had hair, was just touching the water. And I did a total backflip. I, I must I must have knocked myself out because I don't remember doing it. And anyway, I got up and of course, as a young guy, you don't think am I hurt, you're more interested in the- did anybody see me? You know, when I got up and I kind of carried on, but that was my education. I was just wearing regular waders and I was like, okay, yeah, <laughs> I got to change the gear. That is some yeah, slippery, I, slippery. I've never, I've never, I've fished a few rivers, but I've never been yeah. on, on rocks that greasy. Oh yeah. But, but that's all about bugs too, right? You get that kind of algae on rocks. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one of the reasons those, those steelhead grow so big is, is it is an extremely productive river. So I got to ask you a philosophical question here. Is, if, is there anything you'd like to see us do a little differently in the world of fly fishing? Is there anything that kind of irks you that we're, we're up to these days? Uh, you know, I, I guess, um, you know, some of the egos out there, I don't like, you know, I mean, most, most guys are, are just salt of the earth. Great guys, but there are, there are some people out there that just, just have attitude right and that you know i'm always i always kind of say that you know you a fish's brain's about the size of your thumbnail you know so you can catch fish you don't really need to have a a big attitude about that Uh, and that's not a lot of people but you know it can take a person like that to to kind of ruin your day Mm -hmm. um so you know i'd like to see them kind of dial that down a bit but that just goes with life i think it's gotten Uh, better the way steve like it's it seems to me to over the last i i think five ten i think it is i think it is because i think there's a lot of good anglers out there now and i and i think i think you know they i think everybody has their confidence you know i don't think there's any there's not many anglers out there that that are you know that are the gods that that don't sit in a boat and watch somebody else catch fish and, and kind of bring you down a little bit 
you know, you have your great days, but then there's, there's other guys around you that are pretty good anglers. So I think, I think that really helps to, uh, to kind of equal the score. Yeah. So, but uh, you know, another one I think, and I don't know if it'll ever happen, but you know, in almost every fishery, you know, 10% of the anglers catch 90% of the fish. And, uh, you know, my, my job, part of my job was to try to find a way to balance that out. And even today, I'd like to see that balance out a little more. I'd like to see, you know, of the anglers that go out there and they're just starting and they're really trying to figure things out. You know, I, I'd really like to see them do better and have success. And, you know, if they're, if they are really wanting to do this, you know, I, I try to help them out. I, I try to, yeah. you know, especially, you know, many times, especially if they got kids with them, you know, and I see they're struggling, I'll, I'll, I'll quite often, you know, go over if they're on the dock or even if they're fishing and if i get a chance to go over i'll say hey try this you know if i got something that's working you know try this because i i i want to see you know if you're putting in all that effort and spending that money to get out there on the water you know you may never be the top angler on the lake i don't know if any of us are but you know i i want to see everybody have success and you know success for for you know guys that are pretty good you know that i've seen guys come off the water yeah i only got six or seven fish today and you know, you talk to some of these anglers that, that, you know, don't have such high expectations and they'll go, Hey, I got two, three fish today. It was a great day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they don't need a lot of success, but I really want to see them have some success. If you're putting the effort in, especially young people, I want to, I want to see them have success. That's something I I'd like to see. I don't know if it'll happen, but it's, it's something I'd really like to see. I love fishing with people that take you know enjoy other people's success so so if if you can be fishing with a good buddy and 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 he or she hooks a six pound rainbow and you're happy for them for me that's the ultimate because it's that sharing thing because no one's always going to have days where you're lighting it up and we've all had those days where we struggled absolutely if you can fish with a a group of people that um kind of celebrate each other's victories if that makes sense for me that's 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 the be all end all I mean, you know, I was out with a guy today who, you know, fishes a lot and, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's working at bettering his fishing and, and, um, I caught more fish than him, but he got three, three of three fish that were bigger than all the fish I got put together. Hmm. And I, I was super happy. I mean, that, that, that makes my day. I, I, you know, I mean, it's always great, you know, we're out there to catch fish, but, but to see your buddy or, or somebody that you know, is, is working at it to see them have that kind of success to me. That's, that's always been it. And especially if they haven't had the success before, right? you know, um, that's even better because that is, that is something that's going to bring them back and, and they're going to remember, yeah. right. Yeah. When, when you catch those big fish, I, I mean, I've come off the day with, with clients a lot of times and I, I'm kind of thinking to myself, I'm not expressing it, but I'm kind of thinking, oh, that wasn't a great day. And they'll come out to me and say, that was the best fishing I've had in my life. <laughs> that's and cool. I'm like, that's really cool. I'm like, that is so cool. Yeah. You know, my expectations and what I want to give to my clients are, you know, sometimes I, I try to overshoot, but, um, but sometimes they just, you know, you don't know where they come from right. and the struggles that they've had trying to make it work. And, and you go out, you might, you know, every day you go, you go out fishing, it can be boom or bust, but you know, when, when they come off the water and, and they're saying, Hey, that was the best day of fishing I've ever had. You're, you're going, yeah, okay. I did something right. It might not have been exactly what I wanted, but this, this is, this is a, this is a great accomplishment if you, you know, if you can get there. So, yeah. and that, that just makes me feel good. 
Good stuff. So, Steve, I, I want you to throw all your, your social media out there. Um, you know, if, if someone's in the Kamloops or maybe thinking about coming up to the Kamloops region, uh, whether it's later this season or maybe next spring, you know, um, how do they look you up? How do they uh, book a guided trip with you? Uh, walk us through that a little bit. Yeah, you bet, Mark. No, uh, you know, my I've got a website. Uh, it's it's Miracle Fly Fishing Venture. And that's Miracle. It's like Miracle, but it's the A and I reverse. So it's M-A-R-I-C-L-E, uh, flyfishingventure.ca. And then my email address is just uh, miracleflyfishing at gmail.com. And then I've got also got an Instagram page where I'm just on on Miracle Fly Fishing. So those are those are uh, probably the best ways to have a look at, at what I offer on the website. And then mm-hmm. you know fire me off an email or, or you know even a phone call, a text, either any of those any of those methods. I'm not very techy when it comes to stuff, but uh, you know it's like I say I, I retire. I wasn't allowed to guide when I when I was uh, when I was working. It was a perceived conflict of interest. But I always took people out. Always enjoyed seeing people catch fish, especially people who you know were just kind of getting into it. And, I just absolutely love getting people on the water and, and I, I love it even more when they come up and say, that's the best day I've ever had. Yeah. So what was your hashtag on Instagram again? Uh, Instagram is just miracle M A R I C L E fly fishing. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, I think where I found you, but probably not for the first time. I think I've seen your posts in still waters and, or many other spots online. And I, I really want to thank you for taking the time today I think you and I need to do this again because I feel like I'm just scratching the surface of where we can go. And I, I, I thanks so much for your time today, Steve. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mark. I, I, I love talking fishing and I love talking about the work that I did for 34 years. I mean, it, it's one of the things I do when I'm guiding people is try to try to give them not only, you know, fishing tips, but also some of the biology and ecology and the management that we, you know, that we, we do on these lakes to, to make them such great fisheries. And, but I really appreciate this, Mark. Mm. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat. And any time you want to talk further, my line's open. Well, the work that you've done over the past yourself, um, you know, guys like Brian Chan and company. We've been chatting today with Steve Miracle, Miracle Fly Fishing Ventures uh, out of the uh, Kamloops region in British Columbia, Canada. Look them up online. Book your next fly fishing trip with this guy and you cannot go wrong. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.